0: Shalom and welcome to this week's lecture, and uh, as always I'm going to start with first posting in the comments the link to the written lecture um, so that you can print it up, follow along as you wish. So what's this week's title? The Art of Receiving learning how to give, the art of receiving, learning how to give. Now, as always, we start on a modern day issue. So the modern day issue in this lecture, um, to get there, let us first understand what the commandment of prayer is. Now, the definition of this commandment is, as defined by our sages, Bakoshat t'srahav. One needs to ask for their own needs. So much so that one opinion says you don't have to pray every day, biblically speaking, only when you have a need. The other opinion, which is the more accepted opinion, is that biblically speaking, you have to pray once a day for all your needs. Parathetically speaking, um, rabbinically, we're obligated to pray three times a day on a regular weekday. But let's understand that the uh, the second opinion the first opinion i'm sorry well the second opinion says that every single day we have basic needs and thus every single day we need to pray for our needs while the first opinion i would assume is saying that you don't need to pray for your needs until you feel the lack of them thus one doesn't have to pray until while one is feeling healthy, while one has a roof over their head, while one has money in the bank, but rather this opinion is going to say that, biblically speaking, you only ha- you only have to pray when you're in need, you're actually in need, unlike the second prayer, which says you don't have to actually feel the need at the moment, it's just that every single day we have basic needs for survival, thus we have to pray daily. Now, what I want to emphasize here is a very interesting law. The law says as follows, that if you pray for someone else's needs, unless that person receiving their needs is fulfilling your own need, then you have not fulfilled the commandment of prayer. Now, let let me be clear about this. Praying is definitely A a charity. Praying for someone else is, is a form of charity to help someone else out in their time of need. However, to go ahead and say that this is the commandment of prayer, it isn't. Because the commandment of prayer is not about caring for others, it's specifically asking God for your own needs. Now, if this be the case, let us understand, what is the heart of prayer? What is the Fundamental point of prayer, and I'm gonna say that the fundamental point of prayer here is that we become humble and learn the art of receiving. Now, many of us um, fortunately are very good at the art of giving, but our ego gets in the way and doesn't allow for us to have the art of receiving, which is why. In the addiction recovery program, the 12-step program of, of addiction recovery, this is the hardest step for an addict, to learn to ask for help and to learn to receive, accept the help when it's offered. Now, in the rooms of recovery, they say about the first three steps which are the foundation of the program, they say like this, Step one, I can't. Step two, you, God, can. Step three, I think I'm going to let you. So this concept, the art of receiving, is the fundamental concept of prayer for every person, not just addicts. This concept to be able to humbly accept that while you, God, want us to work for a living, nevertheless, It is only you who gives us our sustenance and blesses our work. And thus King Solomon says in the book of Psalms, chapter 127, and I read to you. If God will not build a house, its builders have toiled at it in vain. If God will not guard a city, its watchers keeps his vigil in vain. If it is futile for you who arise early, who sit late, who eat the bread of toil, so will God give to one. In other words, the concept, and I didn't finish the verse. I just want to focus on this concept that King Solomon is saying something unbelievable. He's saying, yes, we have to work. And yes, we have to build. You know, what did someone tell me nicely? God can move mountains, but you should bring a shovel. Because God wants us to do the work. However, we need to realize that it isn't our work that brings us the blessing. Rather, it's the vessel to receive God's blessing and thus the art of prayer is that form of being able to acknowledge that we are all recipients of God's grace and God's kindness okay so in this lecture we're going to explore the healthy art of receiving and from there the healthy art of giving Now, this lecture is based primarily on a mystical teaching, the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, delivered on the Shabbos in 1969, exploring the mystical teachings of the opening verse of our Torah portion, which talks about Judah approaching Joseph. Okay, in form of introduction, let us see what the Zohar says concerning the stories of the Torah. And it goes on to say, Rabbi Shimon explains how the Torah in its spirituality needs to close itself within garments to be able to become sustenance, descend to be sustenance to the physical world, the physical universe. Now these garments, the Zohar explains, is precisely the stories of the Torah. And then Rabbi Shimon goes on to say, Gevaldige harsh derogatory Descriptions of someone who is only willing to see the garment in the story and not the deeper mystical teachings, the lessons of the Torah. Now, the Torah, on what the Torah of the actual word Torah comes from the word Hora'ah, which means lessons. So, on the one hand, while we need to be able to understand the story in its simple form, that there were physical human beings, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's children, and these events physically happened. They're not metaphors, they physically happened. However, being that Torah is a guidance, a lesson, and Torah is eternal, thus Nachmanri tells us that the Torah is a general lesson for service of God to the general house of Israel throughout all generations. As a matter of fact, specifically concerning the stories of our patriarchs, our sages tell us, the actions of our patriarchs, our forefathers, Libanim, are signs and guidance to their offspring, to their children. Now, Nachmanides talks about a general lesson, but as the sages went on generation after generation revealing to us so much more of the secrets of Torah built on the selfless teachings of their predecessors, we actually find in Kabbalah and in Hasidus teaching us that every single story is not just a general lesson, but the story in the Torah has its spiritual dimension. which which pertains to each and every one of us in our spiritual service to God. Yes, we'll be able to physically do these stories when Mashiach comes, but until then, there is the spiritual dimension of Judah, the spiritual dimension of Joseph, and the spiritual dimension of Judah approaching Joseph in each and every one of our lives in all generations. Thus, let us understand the story of Judah, Joseph, Judah approaching Joseph, so that we can shed the garments, see the spiritual, practical lesson for each and every one of us in the here and the now. So, let's go ahead and talk about the story. Uh, Let me catch you up to speed to the opening of our Torah portion, because it's a continuation of the past story in the past portion. So, what happens is, excuse me, About two decades, a little over two decades after the brothers sold Joseph, they are all now standing in Egypt in front of Joseph as the viceroy of Egypt, not recognizing Joseph, because so many years have passed. He was sold when he was 17 years old, and then they obviously matured and then grew a beard and then all that. They didn't recognize him, but Joseph recognized them. And there they were standing in front of Joseph in the years of famine, looking for food to buy food joseph acts very harsh to his brothers and he tells them you're spies you didn't come here for food you came here to fight with us and they go on and say no we are all children of 12 sons of one father um 10 of us stand before you one of them one is missing and one remains home with their father with this father joseph then says well you know what in order to prove that you are who you say you are and you're here because of why you say you're here and you're not spies you'll go ahead and bring back benjamin the youngest son you'll bring back that youngest boy and then i'll see that you are true and you are real about what you're saying well they come home they tell their father and their father is reluctant to send benjamin who is the only remaining son of his beloved deceased wife, Rachel, he's afraid to send him to Egypt. Joseph has gone missing, and and, and this viceroy is acting so harsh, and he, and he took Shimon, uh, and Simon uh, and the second son as collateral, held him in prison so that the brothers would come back, and Jacob's too afraid and says, no, I'm not sending Benjamin. Well, eventually they run out of food, and he has no choice but to agree to send Benjamin together with the brothers to Egypt in order that they can bring back food so that they will remain alive. And he does so only after Judah swears to him on his life and his afterlife that he will bring back Benjamin safely. Now now they come to Egypt and Joseph sees Benjamin, invites them for a private dinner, and he has his servant hide in Benjamin's pack his silver goblet as soon as the brothers leave and they're so happy they have food they're all going back now to Jacob he sends out his guards to trace to chase down the brothers and to accuse them of thievery they stole his goblet and they look through all the packs and of course they find it in the pack of Benjamin and they all return back to Joseph and Joseph says it is Benjamin for his stealing that I will take him as my slave this is where this Torah portion begins and it begins when if love Yehuda and Judah approaches him him being Joseph and Judah talks to him and says let the young one go I am stronger than him and better in all capacities of being a slave and more so if he doesn't return to his father Jacob will die from the sorrow he then explains to Joseph that the reason why it is I, of all the brothers who is standing up here talking, is because it is I, Judah, who promised my father that I will bring him back safely. At this point, Joseph's compassion arouses for his brothers, and he reveals to them who he is. This is the story we're going to focus just on the first verse, and Judah approached Joseph. Okay, so let's see what is going on here. Let's begin the lecture, and as you know, I always begin the lecture with a list of mystical concepts we're going to explore in order to understand this lecture. So here is the list. On a mystical level, what is Judah and Benjamin? Secondly, what is Joseph? Thirdly, what does it mean spiritually Judah approaches Joseph? Fourth, what does it mean that Joseph hides the goblet by Benjamin? What does that mystically mean? And then finally, we're going to dip into the Haftorah and find out what is the mystical part of the prophecy of Ezekiel saying that Judah and Joseph will become one branch. And now, let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Okay, let's begin with Judah and Benjamin. So um, the reason I introduced Benjamin into the equation, I told you we're going to focus on the verse that talks about and Judah approaches Joseph. But you will later on see why I introduced Benjamin into the equation. So what's important for us to know on a mystical level is that Judah and Benjamin are two levels of one mystical dimension, one spiritual dimension, which is called the emanation of kingship. Now, A, what are emanations? b what is the emanation of kingship so in order to explain this we're going to have to dig into a mystical concept which is how is it that from the infinite light of god infinite we have a finite light which can give vitality and sustenance to finite creatures how does the finite come from the infinite and in order to understand this we're going to look at the, one of the introductions in the Zohar. In Tikkun Zohar, introduction number two, it quotes Elijah the prophet for saying the following. And I will read it to you. Master of the world, you are one, but not in the numerical sense. And then it goes on to say, you are he who brought forth ten garments, and we call them ten spirot. Spirot is the Hebrew word for emanation through which to direct hidden worlds which are not revealed and revealed worlds. Okay, what's going on here? So I just wanna share with you how I personally explain it. I personally explain it with the metaphor of colorless light shining through a stained glass window. Now what happens is as the colorless light shines through the stained glass window, the colorless light clothes itself within the color of that specific piece of the stained glass window and now is perceived as a defined color of light. So you have colorless sunlight, colorless light shining through a red piece of glass, and all of a sudden you have a red ray of light, green, green, orange, whichever it may be. Now, so too, the infinite light, by shining through the ten emanations, All of a sudden, this infinite light closes itself within that specific form and definition of that specific emanation. And thus, we all of a sudden have finite form-defined light from the infinite light. And now, from this finite emanation, we can receive sustenance and vitality as finite creatures. Okay? That's the general story of what Elijah the prophet is saying in the opening of the Zohar to explain to us how the finite comes from the infinite and how we each receive our sustenance from the infinite light of God. Now, with that being said, I will tell you that of all the emanations that are explained in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the emanation of kingship is defined as the most precious of all emanations. So let's look at what kingship is all about. Now, in kingship, there is a very interesting paradox. On the one hand, there should be no such thing amongst the human race as kingship, because as you know, there is no such thing as blue blood. We're all red blood. Yet, the Talmud, we quote the Talmud to explain this, and the Talmud says, And what that loosely means is that kingship, royalty upon earth, is a reflection of royalty upon heaven. Now what that really means, according to the teachings of Kabbalah, is that kingship has to have the humility and emptiness and transparency in order to be able to reflect that which is from above kingship, the heavenly kingship. Thus, on the one hand, the whole concept of kingship is humility, transparency, self-nullification, allowing ourselves to become that nothingness which can then reflect the infinite from above. Now, in the spiritual realms itself, this is so. The emanation of kingship is known as the receiver and it receives from all that which is above. Not only that, but the tenth and last of all emanations, which is kingship, is the only one that is connected in the depths of the highest of all dimensions, which is the supernal crown. The supernal crown on the head of the king is what makes kingship king. On the other hand, kingship reflects A quantum leap in exaltedness, which empowers the king to be ruler of all others. This is the phenomenon of kingship, that it is such transparency and nullification that the finite emanation of kingship can reflect the infinite greatest exaltedness of the supernal crown. So, what we're seeing here is that kingship is all about humility and self-nullification, allowing us to reflect that which is so much greater than us. Just like the moon, which doesn't have its own light, and thus can reflect the light greater of itself, even greater in the sense that the sun cannot shine by night, and the moon can. Now... Let's talk about what this is in the service of God. What does this mean? The the spiritual emanation of malchut, kingship. What does it mean to us practically? How does it reflect itself in us who are made in the image and likeness of God? And the answer is that in the service of God, this represents prayer. This is what it's all about. Not only prayer, but specifically the prayer of Amidah. The Amidah is called the silent prayer in which we have to stand our feet together as one, quite a number of times we have to bow our head, this all leads to the definition of humility. This all leads to the definition of self-nullification, allowing us to empty out our own finite light so that we can reflect the infinite light. Now, this is the service of Judah. Also Benjamin, but we're talking now about Judah. This is the service of Judah, and why was Judah called Judah? So the very name is based upon, as the verse says, that Leah, the mother of Judah, said, and I quote to you from Genesis chapter 29, verse 35, This time I will thank God. Therefore she named him Judah. Judah comes from Yehuda, comes from the word Oda, which means to give gratitude. Now gratitude is the birth child of humility, which is kingship, which is the service of the Amidah and the standing and the bowing of the head. So now we understand what the spiritual dimension of Judah, parentheses, Benjamin is all about. It's kingship, which is all about prayer. Okay? Now let's talk about Joseph. Joseph, on the other hand, is the ninth emanation, which is the emanation of Yesud, which means, literally translated, means foundation. In the human infrastructure, this is the emotion of commitment. Now, The job of Yesod is to be the giver. Yesod is that point within all the higher nine emanations, which takes everything from the nine emanations and transmits it to the receiver, which is Malchut. Now, in the service of God, this generally refers to Torah study. However, in this Kabbalistic teaching, let's go beyond just the service of God, What does this mean? What manifestation is there to Joseph? And that is the concept of redemption, redeemer. Joseph was a redeemer. Joseph was the one who literally redeemed and saved the lives of the house of Israel, Jacob and his whole family in the times of famine. He was the one that gave them their food. By the way, for those who are interested in the secrets of numerology, there's also a numerology concept here, which is taught. And that is that Redeemer is referred to as good, the word tov. And there's a verse from Ruth that says, if he redeem you, good, let him redeem you. Now simply the verse is saying good. It's okay, that'll be good, he'll redeem you. However, Kabbalistic says no. Kabbalistic, the verse says, redeem you. Who redeems you? Good. Redeemer is good. That concept of good. Now, the word good in Hebrew is tov. The three letters, tet, vav, vet, numerically add up to 17. How old was Joseph when his brothers sold him? And that began his descent to Egypt. The beginning of his destiny was he was 17 years old. Now, what is Joseph? Joseph actually tells his brother what his destinies are. He says in this week's Torah portion, and I quote, But now do not be sad, and let it not trouble you that you sold me here, for it was to preserve life, Redeemer, that God sent me before you. So now we know that Judah represents prayer, humility, and Joseph represents Torah study, Redeemer. Now, let's go ahead and go on to the next mystical concept, which is, what does it mean that Judah approached Joseph? The verse says by Yigash Elav Yehuda and Judah approached him him is Joseph. So now we can understand the dimension let's put in words here and Judah recipient approached Joseph giver redeemer. Now the Zohar describes this in volume 1 on this week's Torah portion page 205b he describes it as a concept which is a law in the Talmud. And he says, bring close redemption to prayer. Remember, Redeemer, prayer. So he says that Judah, Abdezoah says, that Judah approaching Joseph is that concept in the Talmud, which says, and bring close redemption to prayer. Let me just share, fill you in on what the Talmud's talking about. The morning and evening prayers consist of the Shema, O Israel, God is our God, God is one, which is made up of three portions. And the blessings of the Shema before and after, and the Amida. Now, this the blessing after the Shema is called the blessing of redemption because it concludes with Baruch atah Hashem, Blessed are you, God, Goel Israel redeems Israel. So that blessing is called Redeemer. Now the Talmud is talking about a simple law. You should not make any interruption between the redemption and the prayer. Thus, bring close redemption to prayer. That's what the Talmud is talking about. Now, the simple question here is: Let's just be let's look at the practicality of it. The Talmud says, "Bring redemption, i.e., Joseph, to Judah, to Amida. Bring prayer. Bring close." The redemption Joseph to Amida, Judah. So who's moving to who? Joseph is coming to Judah, but the verse says, "And Judah approached Joseph." Thus, we need to understand what is going on here, because the jo- the Zohar says that both the Talmudic verdict, which talks about Joseph coming to Judah, and the verse, which talks about Judah coming to Joseph, are one and the same. We need to understand this. Now. In order to understand this, we're going to introduce a famous pre Shabbat prayer poem. It's called Lechadodi, and it was composed by the great poet and Kabbalist and scholar Rabbi Solomon Halevi Alkabetz. And as you know already from previous lectures, when you print up my notes, each one of them has a link. You'll be able to see what Lechadodi is, what Rabbi Solomon Alkabetz is. You'll be able to see that. But let's go on and see what. this is all about. The chorus of the prayer, it goes on to have different verses. And the chorus is, in English. Let's go, my beloved, to meet the bride and let us welcome the presence of Shabbat. Simply speaking, we're talking about us. Hey guys, let's go out and greet the Queen Shabbos. However, Kabbalistically, it's not us. Kabbalistically, we are talking to God. My Beloved, and we're asking My Beloved to please empower the Shabbat. Now, let's talk about a moment. Let's get into the Kabbalah of Shabbat. Shabbat is known as, number one, kingship. Number two, humility. Number three, prayer. Let me explain briefly each and every one of them. Shabbat is kingship because Shabbat is the seventh day of the week. And the seven days of the week, the Zohar tells us, represents the seven emotion emanations. Out of the ten, there's the three intellects and the seven emotions. Now, the seventh emotion, the last of the emanations, as you already know, is kingship. Shabbat is the seventh day, the seventh emotion emanation. Shabbat is kingship. Now, let's talk about how Shabbat is humility and total nullification. So, on Shabbat, one is forbidden to do work. Now, it is a day of rest from work which according to mystical mysticism represents the absolute nullification of self. I'm not going to pursue my needs, my goals, my desires. Rather, it's going to be a spiritual day for God. Now, I want to share with you, there's a story in the Talmud of which this ruling is built on. It's in the Talmud book, Tractic Chagiga. And over there on page 5b, it talks about, He who dares to gesture in the, to just do a gesture with the finger. That's what it says. He gestured with his finger. He who dares to gesture in the presence of the king and the end was that they took him out and killed him. In other words, in the presence of the king, Shabbat, kingship, in the presence of the king, there can be no self-pursuing. It's got to all be about the king. Thus, Shabbat is kingship and Shabbat is humility. Total nullification of self. Now, how is it prayer? So our sages teach us that Shabbat is the prayer of the entire week. Now, the mystical explanation to this is that prayer is referred to as the ladder in the dream of Jacob. Now, let me quote to you what the verse says. And behold, a ladder set up on the ground and its top reached to heaven. What does that mean mystically? It means that prayer is all about elevating from below, set upon the ground, to above and its top reach to heaven. So too, mystically speaking, the job of Shabbat is to elevate all the worlds to a higher dimension of spirituality, revelation, divinity. Thus, just like prayer is about the elevation from below to above, so too Shabbat, mystically speaking, is all about the elevation from below to above. Thus, we are taught that Shabbat is prayer. So now that we know that Shabbat is the concept of prayer, kingship, humility, we now understand that Shabbos is equal to Judah. Now, what did we just say Kabbalah says? We're asking God, please empower Shabbat. Why? Because for the below to be able to, uh, to actualize its power of elevation from below to above, it needs to first be empowered from above. Thus we say, please, my beloved God, Please, from above, empower the Shabbat below so that the Shabbat can elevate from below to above. Now, where is that in the story with Judah and Joseph? Because Judah approaches Joseph, right? That means that's from below to above. But in order for the below to be able to approach the above, the above needs to first empower Joseph, the below. Thus, we're going to return to what I began with, telling you that Benjamin and Judah are both the emanation of kingship. Different dimensions, they're both the emanation of kingship. They both represent prayer, humility, and below. Now let's go back to the story. So Joseph sends out someone to go ahead and place his silver goblet into the sack of Benjamin. On a mystical level, what this means is that the above is empowering the below. Only after Joseph places and gives the silver goblet to Benjamin, only after that can kingship Benjamin slash Judah, can Judah then approach to Joseph. Thus the verse When it talks about and Judah approached Joseph, and the Zohar connects that to the Talmud, which talks about bringing Joseph to Judah, they're true. Because Judah approaching Joseph is the aftermath of first Joseph approaching kingship, which is placing the silver goblet within the backpack of the sack of Benjamin. Now, what happens? once we have joseph the above empowering the below what then happens is that judah that I'm sorry once judah is empowered by joseph once the below is empowered by the above all of a sudden he's no more just a receiver that stands below the giver but rather he now becomes equal to the giver And thus the verse says that Judah approached Joseph and said, let me say something into your ear. A level of equality. Judah is talking straight into Joseph's ear. Now we find this concept in the Haftorah. The Haftorah is all about Ezekiel speaks of a vision in which God says to him, and I'm going to quote what it says in the Haftorah. And you, son of man, God's telling Ezekiel, Take for yourself one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. And take one stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. And bring them close one to another into one stick, and they shall be one in your hand. Thus, once the above empowers the below, once Joseph placed the silver goblet into kingship, then kingship, i.e. Judah, is now equal to Joseph. The receiver and the giver are no more like this, but rather the receiver becomes equal to the giver. This is also hidden mystically in the opening words of the verse, and Judah approached him. The words in Hebrew, by, and Judah approached him, are, Vayigash, love, Yehuda. I emphasize the last letters, because if you take the last letters of those three words, you have a shin, a vav, and a hey, which spells out the word shave, which means equal, meaning that now Judah is equal to Joseph, the receiver is equal to the giver, and can talk directly into the ear of the giver. However, it gets even better than this. Once you receive it let's go over the, again the above empowers the below and the below can now equal the above and now they can the, the below can do its job kingship can do its job now once kingship does its job by elevating the below turning the physical into spiritual everything becoming part of our relationship and connection to God not only is the receiver, kingship, prayer, now equal to the giver, but rather it actually surpasses above the giver as it connects to the supernal crown. Thus we find that after Ezekiel talks about how God tells him that they should become one and equal, later on in verse 24, and I read to you, and it says as follows, And my servant David, David's from the house of Judah, shall be king over them, and one shepherd shall be for them all. Thus we see the three stages. Number one, the receiver needs to receive from above, to be empowered, through which he can now go on and do his job by becoming equal to the above, elevating the below to the above. And once he does that, he's connected with his true source, the supernal crown, and he now is even above the above. The receiver becomes the giver, and it's above the giver. Now, in closing, what we have learned is that the foundation to being a giver is the humility of first being a receiver. It is only when we fulfill our position as God's bride, receiver, that we can then be empowered to be an equal partner, so to speak, and then connect to the supernal crown through which we become true givers. The message here, my friends, is clear. We must be humble, acknowledging that we are receivers from God through any of God's messengers that God chooses, and only then can we embrace our ultimate destiny in which we are each unique givers. Thus, you understand now the art of receiving, learning how to give. Thank you.